Well, good afternoon and welcome to A Reason for Hope. My name is Adrian. I'm co-hosting today and filling in for Dave Robson. This is a daily weekday uh, Bible answer program that we live stream from our church here in Tucson, Arizona called Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. So if you haven't joined us before, that's who we are. Uh, in studio with me today is Pastor Sean Richards. <clears throat> How you doing? I'm doing just fine. You can pray for me. We've got a student ministry lock-in where we'll be talking about Buddhism, followed by a memorial, followed by Sunday teachings. It's going to be Ooh, a fun big weekend. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Busy. And yeah. of course, our senior pastor uh, to my right is Pastor Scott Richards. Hey, everybody. Glad you could join us today. Indeed. Uh, there's plenty of ways you can engage with us. We live stream this program as well as all of our services to our Facebook page, and you can check it out at facebook.com and our handle is at ccf tucson so check it out there and if you do please like follow share comment we monitor the, the chat <clears throat> during the live stream so we can get your questions there so if you have a question about the bible uh, about the christian worldview <clears throat> uh, maybe questions about god's existence anything pertaining to the christian faith or worldview or other religions that, as they relate to the christian faith please visit us and chime in during the broadcast, and we will be happy to answer your questions. We also live stream to YouTube. You can just go to YouTube and look for Reason for Hope or go straight to our handle, which is uh, Reason for Hope 546. And don't forget to subscribe and hit that notification bell. We live stream this program as well as all of our services to YouTube as well. Now, if you want to follow our senior pastor, Scott Richards, on Twitter, you may do so. <laughs> I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, in fact, uh, <clears throat> he's got uh, some really interesting uh, tweets. He always gives us little prophecy updates and world events and so on. And, of course, if you want to just tweet a question to, that you'd like him to address during the program, you may do that as well. And that Twitter handle is ScottR4H. And, uh, of course, if you <clears throat> want to watch this program and our services without having to engage on a social media platform, you can do that at our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com, go to the Watch Live tab. Not only can you watch our program and our services, but you can also ask questions live in real time and even make prayer requests. So we'd encourage you to do that if you haven't had a chance to check out our website. We have, uh, of course, our Easter services coming up very soon, so uh, be sure to go to our website and find out uh, <clears throat> service times. We do a sunrise service early in the morning, so please go to our website and check that out if you plan to attend with us. And uh, just a uh, other uh, highlight, we've just been able to nail this that down. Our uh, good friend uh, Leon Patillo is going to be leading worship at our sunrise service and at our 8 o'clock and 9.30 services on Easter Sunday. So uh, one of the uh, real pioneers of contemporary Christian music, part of uh, Maranatha music uh, out of Calvary uh, Costa Mesa from its very inception, really uh, a part of the Jesus Revolution. Leon was the uh, lead singer of the uh, classic rock group uh, Santana for a number of years, but uh, came to the Lord and decided to use his talents for the glory of God, and now we're going to have the opportunity to be blessed by him. We had him uh, here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, uh, boy, just uh, last weekend, and uh, an exciting time uh, for sure, and uh, I think you're, you're going to be blessed to come on out. We're really excited about what the Lord's going to do over our Easter services. He's a great guy, and we had him on this program as well, I think, the uh, a week ago, Friday, so um, be great to see him at the Calvary Christian Fellowship stage again. Uh, <clears throat> also want to remind you that we have an app. 
and I encourage you to check it out. If you are a member of our church or you attend or watch us regularly, uh, you can go to the iTunes or Google Play Store and just look for Calvary Christian Fellowship or CCF Tucson and find our app. You just look for the little <clears throat> red icon with the white dove, and uh, we have our services also streamed to the Roku and all Amazon Fire products. So if you have an Amazon Fire product or a Roku, you can find us and add us as a channel and watch our services and this program live stream every week. If you want to ask a question to be addressed here on the program but kind of want to do it a little bit of anonymously or just prefer the old-fashioned method of emailing, uh, you can do so at questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope, all spelled out, at gmail.com. With that said, we'd love to get started today, but before we do that, let's take a moment to ask our Heavenly Father to bless our time and be with us. Would you like to pray for us, Sean? Of course. Yeah. Dad, we don't have anything to share if it's not first from you. We want to come before you with our hands open to receive the gift of your Spirit, to not only have the energy and strength to do what you've called us to do, but to equip us for it as well starts right here. My father and I are ready to share your word. We ask that you'd be the one that not only allows it to reach the hearts and lives of people that ultimately need to hear it just as much as we do, but with ears ready to receive it and lives ready to live it out. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, um, some exciting stuff going on here. As you know, on A Reason for Hope, we like to keep you up to date uh, about uh, events going on currently in the world with prophetic overtones, either directly or implicitly. Uh, boy, one of the more uh, interesting ones has happened over the last couple of weeks, and we've kept you up to date uh, about uh, how there is has been a, uh, well, a, a watershed uh, kind of a shift, if you will, uh, in uh, the calculus of, of uh, alliances of nations. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, we uh, spoke about how uh, Prime Minister Xi of China uh, managed to get together two of the least likely uh, warring parties in the Middle East uh, to make nice with each other. That is the nation of Saudi Arabia and the nation of Iran. As uh, my right-hand man, uh, all-around good guy, protege Sean, will tell you uh, the differences between the flavors of Islam practiced in Saudi Arabia and Iran set these two nations in more animosity towards each other than they would even have towards Israel in the first place. Uh, and uh, the, the idea of uh, Iran becoming the 800-pound uh, economic and military guerrilla in the Middle East, the, uh, the, the fact that Iran has been uh, hell-bent towards developing a nuclear weapon, now having uh, enriched uranium at least at 84% uh, capability of uh, the, the amount necessary to uh, create a, a nuclear weapon, uh, certainly had uh, all the major players in the Middle East uh, pretty nervous about things. But uh, again, Prime Minister Xi stepped in and uh, out of nowhere almost uh, announced that Iran and Saudi Arabia had made peace with each other. As a matter of fact, not only made peace with each other, have now, uh, through uh, China's intervention, uh, talked about a mutual defense pact with each other, uh, economic cooperation with each other, uh, embassies and diplomatic relationships that have been completely shut down are now wide open again. It's as if these two nations are following that old uh, adage, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Uh, so, 
we, we talked a bit about uh, how this is uh, really almost an indictment of uh, the lack of confidence that the players in the Middle East have about the United States, whether they can count on them in, in a pinch. Uh, the Abraham Accords seem to be pointing in the direction of uh, Saudi Arabia perhaps even joining in on the Abraham Accords. Now I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, this Iranian arrangement here, I think, is going to prohibit any kind of participation by Saudi Arabia in the Abraham Accords. But it, it looked like uh, for a while, because of the confidence the uh, main player nations had uh, who were worried about Iran's domination of the region through the Iranian, Iranian Republican Guard Corps, uh, which is uh, a uh, terrorist group by any other name, uh, they were so worried about that that they would uh, bind together with Israel to oppose the rise of Iran. But now we've seen seemingly coming out of left field this other arrangement coming into place. Now, with this arrangement coming into other place, another incident happened just earlier today. Iran, this comes from uh, the Debka.com website, which is an interesting website, by the way. Our good friend uh, and tour guide, Ronnie Simone, I asked him about the Debka.com website because it does seem to have, uh, well, information about what's going on in the Middle East that seems to have intelligence services written all over it, you know, seems to uh, almost uh, be the kind of thing that you would see the CIA or, or another intelligence service, the KGB, put, putting out uh, to further their own ends. And, and Ronnie agreed with that assessment. He said that the Mossad may very well be involved with the Debka.com website, sometimes spinning events to uh, accomplish their means, their, their, their ends, if you will, uh, in, in terms of uh, presenting a picture, the Middle East would be favorable to Israel, Israel's goals. But also, he said, there are times where they will uh, be able to reveal things that the average person and the average uh, news service isn't uh, privy to because of their contacts. Well, I think today was uh, an example of this. Uh, the headline on the Debka.com uh, website is Iranian drones and U.S. fighter jets have engaged in the first duel ever over Syria. Now, that's a biggie. And, and what happened was Iran challenged the United States, uh, and this is from the Debka.com website, uh, for their first gloves-off duel on Friday, March 24th, by hitting back at the Americans for retaliating when their facility in East Syria was struck by armed drones operated by Iran's Revolutionary Guards and their proxy militias on the Syria-Iraqi border. This military clash between Iran and the U.S. is unprecedented on Syrian soil. Now, this whole thing got going on Thursday when uh, the Iranian Republican Guard Corps-backed Shiite militias launched suicide drones against a military facility uh, armed and uh, operated by the U.S., which was to guard the Al-Omar oil field in uh, East uh, Syria, uh, a, a key uh, resource uh, for uh, military operations for the United States and its proxies in the region. Well, the suicide drones struck this facility and killed at least one American contractor. Now, what a contractor is... Uh, could mean anything, could be someone working uh, the mechanics of the oil field, could be anywhere from that to a CIA operative, could be a Navy SEAL, we just don't know. It's sort of the generic term for people uh, in those sets of circumstances. Five other individuals were hurt. Well, the United States immediately uh, responded by carrying out uh, what uh, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin described as precision strikes 
on multiple targets in the region. Uh, these uh, multiple targets included a uh, military uh, arsenal uh, that uh, was uh, manned by the, Euro- the Iranian Republican <coughs> Guard Corps. At least 10 people killed in that strike, according to uh, Iranian officials. Uh, the uh, airstrikes were conducted uh, in response to these attacks on coalition forces by groups affiliated with Iran's Revolutionary Guards. Now, really interesting that uh, our government rarely calls out the Iran Revolutionary Guard Corps as being the malefactor in this region. It usually is, well, the uh, Iranian militias or Iranian-aligned militias or terrorist groups. But now they're sort of um, calling a spade a spade, if you will, at that particular time. So uh, a military arsenal was raised, an intelligence base outside of the town of uh, Mayadeen was, uh, was uh, destroyed, a third facility uh, that the IRGC was using uh, on another site uh, was taken down as well. Well, normally when that happens, uh, you know, we bloody Iran's nose as a result of something like that and everything kind of calms down. Well, that's not what happened. The Iranians upped the ante. They retaliated uh, by uh, using their armed drones to uh, attack the U.S. facilities once again. Uh, And uh, as uh, the headline uh, dictated, U.S. fighter jets and Iranian drones were in direct conflict at that particular time. Well, uh, once again, uh, some straight talk on the subject. This is from the Debka.com website. It was heard for the first time from Washington. It came from U.S. CENTCOM Chief General Michael Correa, who said, We are postured for scalable options in the face of any additional Iranian attacks. Addressing the Armed Forces Committee in Congress, Korea said, Iran's drone fleet has become the largest and most capable unmanned aerial vehicle force in the region. In other words, they're saying that Iran's drone fleet even has ours uh, beaten by this particular time. It's, uh, Debka goes on to say, this statement must have switched on some red lights in Israel too, given its own highly sophisticated UAV fleet, even more so since Tehran has clearly become brazen enough to challenge the U.S. military head on. Now, why has Iran suddenly become so cocky uh, in this region as to escalate events with the United States. Well, going back to that agreement that uh, uh, Communist Party Chief Xi uh, personally oversaw between Saudi Arabia and Iran, you have the Saudis, you have the Iranians, both in a sense having the military and economic muscle of Communist China now behind them for their source of security. And a secure Iran is an aggressive Iran. Their goals for taking out Israel and uh, extending their own form of uh, Shiite Islam across the Middle East have not been uh, dissuaded at all by these series of events. So, you know, the interesting thing about this prophetically is we're seeing, in a sense, another confirmation that the major players in the tribulation period, as far as military uh, actors that are prophesied as being uh, allied against Israel in the last days, are really coming on scene. Why is China now allied with Iran? Well, there's another reason for all of this, and that is that Chairman Xi has also spent the last week in Russia with meetings with Vladimir Putin. 
And China has made it very apparent that they are taking Vladimir Putin's side in the Ukrainian conflict. So here you have three of these major players that uh, are talked about in biblical prophecy. We see Russia being clearly described in Ezekiel 38 and 39 as the lead dog, if you will, in a last day's invasion of Israel. We see, as uh, you were mentioning even on the program uh, yesterday, Sean, uh, China being referred to as the kings of the east, that one of the great plagues of the tribulation period is going to be the drying up of the Euphrates River so that the kings of the east can come into that region and set the stage for the literal battle of Armageddon, literally the battle of Har Megiddo, the battle of Megiddo, the valley of Jezreel in Israel, which we have seen on our tours, where uh, all nations of the world are going to come together and be on the edge of destroying themselves when Jesus returns to end the war, to end all wars. So we see China involved. We see Russia involved. We also see that the Saudis, in a sense, are going to be involved because when this invasion goes on, we are told that uh, the merchants of Shiva and Dedan are going to be saying, uh, why have you come into this region? Have you come to take spoil? Well, we've seen that there is spoil to be taken in Israel now because of the discovery of the huge natural gas tracks off the coast of Israel, uh, enough to really uh, balance, uh, unbalance all the equations economically in that region, particularly as it pertains to Russia and as it pertains to the usual actors in OPEC from uh, the Arab Muslim world. So uh, really interesting things going on along these lines. It's going to be interesting to see if uh, this is another one of those uh, kind of a probing operation uh, by Iran to see what they can get away with uh, now uh, to see if a perceived weakness in the military uh, and uh, resolve of the United States to be uh, a defender of Israel is going to uh, end up uh, causing things to accelerate. I would say uh, as far as uh, the birth pains go that Jesus told us to be aware of, uh, including wars and rumors of wars in Matthew chapter 24, uh, I'd say certainly we're heading into another birth pain along this line. It'll be very interesting to see how Israel responds because Israel, as we have mentioned, because of the protests against the Netanyahu government, their desire to do judicial reform, supposedly, uh, but I don't think it's just about that. I think it is a, an opposition uh, to the Netanyahu government, far too conservative-leaning for the likes of the usual suspects in the World Economic Federation and others. Uh, I, I think uh, you can see that some of these protests have been uh, very similar to the things that we saw, say, during the Donald Trump administration in our own country, uh, attempt to change uh, the policy of a nation by uh, causing uh, widespread unrest in cities and so on. We see the same thing going on in Israel. And uh, when a Muslim nation sees Israel uh, showing weakness, boy, that is not something that's going to come and say, oh, well, we should really step back and allow these people to straighten out their own problems. No, instead, it's going to be uh, another opportunity to be able to further what their call has always been, and that is to take out Israel. Now, Sean, why are uh, Muslim nations so dead set uh, committed to the idea of taking out Israel? Is it just because they don't like Jewish people or does it go deeper than that? Well, I think the 
skin deep defect is actually just as superficial as what's on the inside. But the reality is whether they take their eschatology, to use the fancy term, their understanding of the end times seriously or not, the animosity of Israel can come from one or two angles, the past or the future, both of which are false. And if a decided step is going to be made in establishing peace between the Arabs and Israel, their culture would essentially have to be uprooted from its foundations, which is not an easy thing to do. Firstly, if you were to look at the future, and for those of you who knew Al-Qaeda and eventually ISIS's charter, they would repeatedly quote the Hadith narration that was reliably transmitted by their prophet, who stated that the end would not come. And the end, by the way, is not the conclusion of all things, but the culmination of all things, something they want to happen. Right. Where judgment would finally take place, this world would be made a Sharia-compliant hellhole, I mean, paradise, (laughs) and of course, that everything would ultimately be the way that Allah intended it to from the beginning. All these things are not going to happen until the rocks themselves cry out and say that to the Muslims, there is a Jew hiding behind me, O Muslim, come and kill him. And even the trees would sell out the Jews for this systemic murder, with the exception of one type of tree, which they define as the tree of the Jews. I don't know what that has to do with anything, but I guess why not add treeism to yeah. racism? Yeah. But the point being made is this, or anti-Semitism, I should say. When they look at their history and they look at their future, it's just as much an overt hostility because the individual who is responsible for the death of their prophet is a woman by the name of, uh, I believe, Khadija, who poisoned him as a test to see if he was a true prophet or not. Ironically, he failed, but they still consider him a prophet. When the majority of Muslims targeting of groups in the Arabian Peninsula were either going to be Christians, exiled Christians specifically from the Byzantine Empire, Jewish tribes that had settled in the Central Arabian region, and of course his fellow Arabs, the descendants of the Nabataeans. Muhammad's intentions from the beginning, according to History of Al-Tabri, Volume 6, the earliest and most reliable biographical source we have on Muhammad's life, verified by Ibn Ashaq, stated that he intended to conquer all of these people before he even started altering his message into a more violent one. It was his agenda from the beginning. Mm. And because in Muhammad they have an excellent example, the Quran states, they are to model his attitude, his behavior, all the way down into what foot they step into the bathroom with. And if he had animosity towards the Jews in history and predicted their ideal future is not going to take place unless there is a global hostility towards the Jews, then this is going to continue not because the Jews did something, but because Muhammad said something. That's the foundation of their ethics, that's the foundation of their law, that's the foundation of their culture, and of course the foundation of their religion. It's not submission to Allah, it's submission to the one who claimed to be his messenger, which is Muhammad, who notedly, hated Jews. That's yeah, why and, this is happening. And the other uh, the other factor involved with it is, is that as long as a non-Muslim uh, entity of any kind controls territory that was once controlled by Islam. Mm-hmm. That's considered an affront and uh, almost uh, a blasphemous thing in the eyes of their God, correct? Correct. And the whole idea is might makes right. If you're going to judge a religion's superior status in Arab culture, it's in the passion that it produced and the results that it provides. Because Islam basically turned this ragtag group of traitors 
not traitors like those who would violate oaths. Traitors. They, yeah. they did that later, but caravan traders. Yeah. They conquered most of northern Africa, the Persian Peninsula, and of course the majority of the northern Middle East within 200 years and also made steps into Spain, which by the way you're going to need to watch out for. The land known as Andalusia is just as much a target as Israel is, but the point being made is that if Islam's status as this dominating force in the world is challenged, the truth and validity of the religion itself is challenged because it's not a religion. It's a geopolitical and legal system in the guise of a religion, and we need to understand that as well. We're talking to people who hold this doctrine seriously and see them making these constant pushes and pressures towards world governments, not just to conform to them out of terror, but to conform to them and capitulate to them legally, uh, financially, socially, even dietarily, being able to enforce Sharia law in regards to what food can be handled at the grocery store, co-opting street corners for the purposes of prayer and so forth. All of this is centered around that political drive of saying we are meant to dominate the world. And if we don't, then what are we? And if that territory, not just for Israel, but also for Andalusia, also for the regions that aren't necessarily as Muslim as they should be, that were once a part of the Islamic expansion of the four rightly guided caliphs, the successors of Muhammad, then that's a threat to the religion on the same grounds that if you or an I were told they actually found the tomb of Jesus with a body still inside of it. Right, right. So uh, not much room for compromised <clears throat> solutions uh, peace treaties, that sort of thing. Yeah, and of course, this isn't to say that every Muslim is in on this political expansion, but when it comes down to it, we need to take seriously the claims of this religion because some people do take it seriously enough to follow it to the letter. Now, there are Christians who are just as much hypocritical and sold out and ignorant of their own faith that they wouldn't know Jesus if they had met him on a street corner. And likewise, there are Muslims that can model the character of anyone and everyone on this planet but their prophet, which is a good thing. But there are also people who take their beliefs seriously right. enough to follow through with them to the letter, to consider the historical example of Muhammad as a paragon to follow, and of course that looks very ugly. Which would explain the behavior of the Iranian government. They're just being very consistent in terms of that principle, correct? Correct. And if yeah. anyone's wondering, well, there's Shia. Isn't that a different approach or view of Muhammad? Not even slightly. The only difference between the Shia and Sunni when it comes down to it is likewise a political one. They believe that Ali, Muhammad's most prominent uh, son-in-law, would be his rightful successor when Aisha, his favorite child bride, was lifting up other people as the one to basically intervene in that succession until the time of Mu'ayisa. So, yeah. Well, uh, once again, just be praying for the peace of Jerusalem because ultimately it all comes back to that. Uh, Jerusalem, uh, Israel is the epicenter in terms of uh, understanding uh, where we are in terms of God's prophetic timetable and uh, certainly uh, is uh, the apple of God's eye. God loves the Jewish people. God has plans for them. One other update as far as Israel is concerned. We told you earlier in the week that there was a bill that was making its way through the Knesset that would uh, make uh, sharing uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ with anyone in Israel a crime with uh, punishable up to a year uh, in jail. Well, there's good news tonight. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, in response to this bill promoted by members of the United Torah Judaism Party, uh, said, we will not advance any law 
against the Christian community. Uh, you know, the, uh, the law itself is not a new law, as we mentioned. Uh, the individuals who put it forth, uh, two of the legislatures who were a part of uh, United uh, Torah Judaism, uh, Moshe Ganfi uh, and uh, Yaakov Asher, uh, they've been up to this for quite some time. As a matter of fact, at the beginning of every uh, session of the Knesset, when a new uh, group is voted in, they float this kind of bill out there. So I, I think there was a little um, hyping and hysteria that went with this particular bill, but it uh, kind of gained some traction because of the narrow coalition that Benjamin Netanyahu's government currently holds, uh, the amount of pressure going on because of the judicial reform <laughs> protests that are happening in the country. And if United uh, Torah Judaism uh, Party uh, withdrew from Netanyahu's coalition, uh, the government would fall and you'd have to have new elections. So mm -hmm. we were concerned about that. Uh, apparently, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has had a sit-down talking to with these guys. and mm. uh, <clears throat> doesn't appear that it's going anywhere. Yeah. Our Congress does the same thing. Yeah. There's bills they want to pass that will never pass, but they throw it out there every year. <laughs> yeah. So they can say to the... the uh, the constituents, their, uh, their, their backers. See, we, we did our best. Hmm. Yep. Now, what's the passage? Is it, is it the Battle of Gog and Magog that is the, <clears throat> where Russia and China seemingly are involved together with Iran? Or Not is that China? My, Not, Not China. China. Uh, Russia and a series of specified nations are found in Ezekiel chapter 38. Uh, among them, uh, the people groups that would make up uh, modern Turkey, uh, the people groups that make up modern Russia, uh, the individuals that would uh, make up the tribal people groups that we would identify uh, with the uh, Muslim uh, republics in the former Soviet Union in uh, Asia. Also, uh, some of those that are in Eastern Europe at this particular time being a part of it all. Uh, we're told specifically Libya and uh, individuals from the place that we would know today as the Sudan uh, are going to be involved with this coalition as well. But interestingly enough, not Egypt, Syria, Jordan, or Lebanon, which no. were adjacent and have tried to invade Israel before. But we see these nations are going to be more spread out. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> Is that also the the place in Ezekiel where it talks about the bear with the hook in its mouth? Yeah. yeah. He's not going to want to do this, but he'll be so coerced into it for mm. the purpose of gathering spoil. Yeah. Mm. yeah. We believe that's probably going to be because of the oil reserves discovered in Israel. Yeah, and uh, just natural the, gas, excuse just, me. You know, the idea of uh, putting hooks in your jaws carries the idea that this Russian leader doesn't want to do this, but has no choice. Mm. You know, we've talked uh, a bit about the dicey place that uh, Vladimir Putin and any uh, leader in Russia is uh, regarding uh, the Chechen uh, people, uh, the Chechen rebels who are hardcore uh, Shiite Muslims, uh, they, they probably make uh, Iran pale in comparison as far as their zeal for their own particular uh, form of Islam. They were the ones, uh, for instance, that conducted what was called the Beslan uh, School Shooting Massacre, where 800 school children were killed uh, by terrorists who took over this school. Uh, they've been responsible for bombings of apartment buildings in Moscow, taking down uh, jetliners. And uh, they were so effective at their terrorism that it appeared that uh, Vladimir Putin's original government was going to fall. He was going to be thrown out of power because the, the Russian people were so upset about all of this. 
Well, suddenly, for the first time ever in their history, Russia and Iran form an alliance. Russia comes to Iran, makes peace with them, builds them a nuclear reactor, offers them military aid. Suddenly, how interesting, the Chechen rebel problem vanishes. No more problem with the Chechen rebels uh, because uh, the mad mullahs in Tehran who hold their leash decided to bring them back to heal. Are they Shia, the Chechen Muslims? Yeah, Yeah, they're Shiites, hardcore Shiites, Mm -hmm. maybe even more hardcore than the Iranians. They'd probably look at the Iranians and say, well, those guys are a little lukewarm, but you know, we're we're the real deal over here. They read Surinite. Yeah, so... uh, you know, it, very interesting. And, hmm. you know, the idea of the Russian leader having hooks in his jaws, those hooks have been set ever since the Chechen rebel problem came up because Russia full well knows what a formidable terrorist threat the Chechens would be if they were let off their leash, so to speak. But as long as they play nice with Iran, well, so much the better. And Iran returning the favor. Uh, in the Ukrainian conflict, uh, an awful lot of the suicide drones uh, are made in Tehran and uh, uh, other localities in Iran. Uh, Iran is actually supplying a number of these sophisticated drones uh, to help the Russian effort in that area. So you can see how these alliances uh, that have decidedly biblical overtones are playing out in the headlines in our day. Wow. Well, I received a we have a couple questions or one I think so far, <laughs> and uh, we'll get to that in a minute there, John. But uh, I I have a question from offline from Allie. Uh, family. Oh, I'll give you a little background. Family member uh, in a dating relationship. <clears throat> um, the gal is a previously married has like a seven or eight year old daughter. To save money, they decide, and they're both professing believers. Decided to. Uh, cohabitate to save costs with the intention of they're not engaged yet, but with the intention of uh, we're going to be <clears throat> tying the knot in the near future. So we're going to have accountability. We're going to make sure that we stay pure. Um, it, uh, <clears throat> there's obviously um, some hesitation on the other, the extended family's um, view of it. But uh, how would you encourage someone to think about this, and how would you respond to the relationship? How, how would you encourage other believers to respond to the relationship, as well as the future marriage if it were to take place? And you know, how do we, <clears throat> when it's something that uh, seemingly has uh, a layer of integrity around it, not intending to say no? They they said that their pastors are supportive of them at their church and things like that, and. Uh, so anyhow, they, they say their <laughs> pastors are supportive of this. Apparently, yeah, that's all right. Well, a couple of things I, I guess we could use as uh, GPS uh, headings uh, that uh, that can give us some uh, wisdom and insight into all of this. Um, first of all, uh, when it comes to our relationship with the opposite sex. You know, we can give them, well, you know, we've got financial and we've got this and that. And of course, we're thinking about somewhere uh, over the rainbow getting married and uh, accountability structures, but we're playing house. We, we share the same address, so on. You know, I, I think there's a, a, a real key passage that needs to be brought into this discussion, and it's found in First Thessalonians 
chapter 4 and verse 3. It says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has given us his Holy Spirit. In essence, what Paul is saying in this passage is this. You don't want to conduct your sexual relations in the same way that the Gentiles do. In other words, those who don't know God. Now, when a some professing Christians uh, decide that they are going to, in essence, play by this world's rules, that there is no problem with cohabitating together before marriage. And, you know, again, I've, I've heard the protestations before about, well, you know, we're, we're uh, living in chastity and, and we're accountable and, and so on. It's purely for economic reasons that we're doing this. Um, the thing that I've seen over and over again, and I'm, I'm certainly willing to be proved wrong on this, is that uh, it never quite works out that way. You know, if it's strict economics uh, that is uh, the motivator here, well, surely there are better ways to get your needs met and more efficient ways to get your needs met economically than to do something that presents to an onlooking world this message. You, you Christians behave just like we do. There's no difference between you and us. You're going to... Oh, and that, that's the issue, is the appearance, the witness that it leaves other people to see. Yeah, and you know, again, Peter said, keep your behavior excellent uh, among the Gentiles. It didn't say, well, keep your you know, behavior mediocre among the Gentiles, keep your behavior, uh, you know, okay, I guess, passable or tolerable or explainable after 10 minutes of gyrations and flowcharts and diagrams about your finances. No, it, you know, it says abstain from every form, uh, the old King James puts it, every appearance of evil. And so we as Christians are called to live on a higher plane than that. Um, you know, I've, I've had that question asked to me by elderly people who will say, well, look, um, you know, we love each other and we'd get married, but if we get married, we lose half our social security benefits and, and all of this, and we don't know how we would make it financially if, um, if we were to do such a thing. So can we just have like a marriage in the church, but not an official marriage so we can keep it? Well, problems with that. First of all, you're lying to the government when you're doing that. We as believers shouldn't be in the business of lying or misleading uh, for economic purposes, because what we're saying by that is I can't trust God to meet my needs financially. I've got to take this into my hands and do something that is very slippery at best, morally, and, well, at worst, is flat-out deceptive. You know, we, you don't want to go down that path. You know, the other thing that people need to take into account is this. All right, uh, God's sovereign. He opens doors and closes doors. Well, one of the ways he opens and closes doors is through economics, through our finances. And if he is closing a door by not providing the wherewithal for a couple to move in together, maybe it's because he doesn't want you to move in together. Uh, that's, that's a real possibility. So, you know, we know in Scripture that whatever is not of faith is sin. And when these conversations get going, it, it's just funny how horizontal it all gets. 
heaven doesn't really come into the equation. Uh, It's all about, you know, uh, well, I've got to work this out. Well, once again, Proverbs chapter 14 tells us that there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. Uh, You can look at something and it might make sense economically, but does it make sense spiritually? Is it really honoring God? You know, is it, is it passionately pursuing him? You know, again, he's shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly, right? To do the right thing, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Uh, I, I guess I always kind of attach the rapture test to all of this. <clears throat> if a person got into that kind of an arrangement and the rapture happened, how would you feel? Looking at Jesus and having to explain why you were doing what you were doing. You know, he obviously gets it, but we shouldn't live our lives in such a way to see how close we can get to the edge and still be in. And, and that's what this is sounding like here. You know, I'm, I'm really troubled that they would receive counsel from a church that, well, that's okay. Yeah, and maybe giving the benefit of the doubt to the pastors, and I've experienced this in my own life. There's people who I know that are engaged in this lifestyle, and they know where I stand on it, but at the same time, it's oftentimes treated as either indifference or even approval if I'm not 24-7 berating, demonizing, and condemning them for making their own decisions and how to basically live out their relationships. I think the best way to approach this isn't just the rapture test, but it's also in regards to any struggle with sin, just period, is not just the fact that you're struggling, but if there is a struggle, and this undoubtedly is an area of sin, not, oh, we're just living together, it's not... Yeah, it's, it's missing the mark. You're putting yourself in a situation, you're making a provision for your flesh to fulfill its lust. If I put my own cards on the table and note that when it comes to my own sexuality, I have to be accountable for it, I struggle with it, I'm not always perfect with it, but I'm taking steps and regularly and publicly identify, yes, what I'm doing is wrong. If on the other hand, I jump to the other stat and say, but it's not because we want to compromise, it's because we want to handle the kid situation or keep our finances in order. I'm making excuses. I'm, I know you have history with them, but a video was recently put out where Dennis Prager atten- essentially took the role of a porn apologist because he says, well, you know, guys in certain situations are in a place where they can't have those needs met, and so as long as you're not committing adultery, then that's the lesser evil, as if that somehow makes the lesser evil any less of a evil. But the point being made is that when we're talking to people and they make excuses, red if not black flag, if they are struggling in an area and says, yeah, I know, I just, I can't really do anything else in my life right now, and they come to a church and say, could you maybe help us financially until we get married so that we can pursue this in a godly way? I celebrate that. But if, on the other hand, they're making excuses, that is where I can tell there's shady business going on. They're making excuses, not dealing with a identified problem. If you have the flesh, that means you're human. If you surrender to your flesh, that means you're not struggling. And that I don't have any patience for. And I don't think their teachers do either. Yeah. So you're saying that it's possible that what is viewed as <clears throat> uh, condoning or approval might just be tolerance. Yeah, and tolerance in the actual definition of the word. Them not basically saying, oh, I celebrate that. It's saying, 
you know mm -hmm. my stance on this, but you also know that I love you. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to berate you about it every day. But if you want to talk about this, you know where to find me. Well, one of the passages that came to mind was when Jesus talked about children and leading them astray, and it's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and tossed into the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. And when someone spends as much quality time that's not your parent with someone as <clears throat> impressionable as an eight-year-old or a seven-year-old, uh, you're spending all this quality time with them because that's one of the reasons why it's easier to cohabitate because uh, the partner needs help with all the travel sure. and this and that. And, and so you're spending all this quality time with this child when you don't even know if your relationship's going to solidify into marriage. You're planning that, but <clears throat> you're sort of putting the cart before the horse and what's going to happen to that child if things don't work out? You're really playing with fire as mm -hmm. to, and, and not only that, but you're communicating to that child that, hey, it's okay to compromise, even though you're taught in Sunday school and all these things about cohabitating, that's what the world does, it's not what we do. Uh, how are they going to believe Sunday anything school. else you say if you uh, continue to compromise that way? Yeah, well, you know, and, and I think um, this is kind of the separate the men from the boys situation. You know, like say, let's talk about that older couple who say, oh, you know, our social security benefits and yada, yada, yada. You know, what we'll say is, look, why don't you take a step of faith? If you really believe that God wants you to get married, go through those steps where you need to get married. And, you know, the church will be here to encourage you and support you. Maybe your families can come alongside you and encourage you and support you financially and make up for uh, whatever loss you would have had from the government. But do the right thing. If you're not willing to do the right thing by God, don't expect God to bless this. You can go ahead and do whatever you're going to do, but don't expect us to do some wave your hand, make everybody feel better ceremony if you're not going to... Um, you know, again, render under Caesar with the things that are Caesar's. Uh, you know, when when I think about uh, the situation that you describe there, Adrian, I guess maybe my first reaction is this. Well, we're going to get married. We want to get married, you know, and, and someday over the rainbow, we're going to get married. Well, you want to live together? Why don't you just get married? Why don't you just do it? Well, you know, and, and then if there's the hesitate, well, why, what are you hesitating about? You're not 100% committed to this person. You don't really believe you're going to be with them the rest of your life. You're not sure about all of that. Don't you think you're, and it comes back to 1 Thessalonians 4, defrauding somebody, presenting the picture of happily ever after when it's really try before you buy. Um, you know, that I think is the best way to approach it. To say, man, you know, if you guys are committed to each other and, you know, you really do see a future together, well then why don't you before God go ahead and, solemnize that future hmm. you know make that covenant before him how do you counsel family members or even friends who are not part of that church you know there's that well they're not in my church so i don't really have it's not my place to say anything i'm not or someone who just is a familiar with the situation but is not family how do you usually encourage family members or those who are in that circle just stay uh, available if they well, don't pursue that counsel, then you'll answer to God for what you did and said. But if they don't pursue that counsel and they don't have that role as being a part of their fellowship in their life, then pushing the issue can oftentimes create more controversy than it's worth. I mm -hmm. think the wisest thing to do is allow them the chance and allow the spirit to convict them with the chance that they would either seek with people who aren't going to conform to their prejudices or that maybe will seek out more 
of a desire in their own fellowship. I've had great conversations with people that ended abruptly and being able to say, you know what, I trust God's work in your heart and life. And when it comes to this issue, I know you have your convictions. So I just ask you to pray about this within a weekend they've changed their minds on it in more biblical ways. But if on the other hand, you're, you know, turning the heat up on them, they're going to see you as an adversary, not an asset. My opinion, take it for what it's worth, is to just stay available. Well, you know, I think there's a couple of scriptural principles you got to take into account. Number one, A, are these people with a testimony of having a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ? You know, I'm not, I'm just not talking about churchgoers or, you know, but someone that really says that, you know, I know the Lord. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul said, what do I have to do with uh, dealing with outsiders? You know, God is going to judge them. But inside the church, you know, put away the evil man. You know, if someone professes to be a believer in Jesus, well, then not only do I have the right, I have the obligation if I see a brother and sister or sister uh, going down a path that is ultimately going to lead uh, to destruction to exhort them. Uh, Hebrews chapter three and verse 12 says, beware brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing. And notice that word departing there refers to a process. It doesn't mean they've departed. It means they're departing. In other words, it's going on and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest each of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You know, you know, for me to see somebody who is a believer in Christ, who's part of the family of God, that makes me committed to them. They're committed to me. We're part of one body. We're part of God's family. If I see them uh, going down a road where the bridge is out ahead, but saying to myself, well, you know, I don't want to offend them, and people don't like to be given... You know, we all know about backseat drivers telling people how to drive. And it's none of my nobody business. likes that. It's nobody, none of my business. I don't want them to think I'm some kind mm-hmm. of religion. Well, and, and then you watch them do the Thelma and Louise right off the cliff. Um, you might feel good about yourself, but, you know, sitting back and watching someone make a disastrous decision, you know, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, financially, when obviously the Lord has brought it to your attention. It's no accident that you know about it. Uh, we're not responsible for them, you know, saying, oh, wow, you know, you're right, gee, you know, I'm glad you pointed that out. I'm sure glad I have people. Uh, but if we speak the truth in love, you know, it's not just flying in and carpet bombing their life and their ethics, you know, like you, you're, you're intimating there, Sean. Uh, we don't want to do that. We want to come alongside of them and say, hey, look, I really care about you, you know, and I, I see this situation going on. And I just want to tell you, you know, and I'm not perfect either. You you got some things you see in my life that you think straightening out, please tell me. But, you know, just because I care about you, I, I need to talk to you about this because I don't think this is going to get you guys where you need to go. Mm-hmm. And, and this is why. This is where I see this from the scripture. And, and once you've said your piece, then you've said your piece. Just say, look, I'm not going to bring it up again. You know, I'm not going to, you know, nag you or berate you or anything else like this. But I feel an obligation to tell you this. And you need to know I can't celebrate with you this decision. I can't approve of this for these reasons. Uh, Because my relationship with God and seeing things the way he sees it comes first. Not that I'm righteous and you're not. Uh, You know, we're all fallen, frail, and, and flailing sinners. 
But the, the bottom line is if we see somebody going down that path, you know, it reminds me of the proverb that says uh, that uh, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Mm. You know, sometimes being a friend means you got to, you know, say some things that are painful, challenging. But, uh, you know, I, I just don't want to find myself in a situation as a pastor or even as a, just a brother, uh, you know, to someone in the Lord, someone looking at me and saying, why didn't you say something about it? Mm. <clears throat> you know, you saw me going down this yeah. path. Why didn't you say something about you it? You were at my wedding and you didn't say a word for a whole year or two years or three years before that. And yeah. all of a sudden here we are in flames and yeah exactly. and you and then later on you said oh well i thought that was going to happen you didn't say a word <laughs> yeah or in the best case scenario i did you didn't listen to me mm. yeah well yeah. Uh, people are in these situations all the time i was just listening to a uh, program and uh they uh there was a similar situation and someone said oh well we decided to just not go to their wedding and then it caused this huge family feud and uh, I think that's the big concern is to not create too many waves. Uh, people find themselves in these kinds of situations all the time, and it's But it's a still put the breakers up. Let's get to some questions before we're out. Yeah, uh, John wants to know if Matthew twenty four thirty two about the parable of the fig tree, are the times we are in now what he was speaking about? Well, it all depends on whether or not the fig tree that was being spoken of is rightly interpreted as the restoration of the nation of Israel. When it comes to the different perspectives on the end times, they would either say that this prophecy is meaningless or has all the meaning in the world. Rarely do you find a place in between. Uh, The reason why my father and I would hold to the affirmative view that the fig tree in blossom is the sign that these times are coming upon you as spring, you know the season, but not the day or the hour, is because in the Old Testament, God frequently uses the illustration of Israel as his fig tree, not just as a fig tree, but his fig tree with ownership. You read Joel 1.7, Hosea 9.10, uh, 1 Kings 4, and others. These are all, ter- and even in the Gospel of Matthew earlier, in Matthew 21, all of these are keeping in mind the fact that this illustration throughout Scripture has the nation of Israel in mind as the focus of when these things, what things, the Matthew 24 things, the end times things, are coming soon. And because we saw Israel restored as a nation back in not only 1947, but again in or 1943, but uh, also in 67, we find ourselves in the general ballpark. Like here in Arizona, we have a saying that you know it's spring when the yellow snow starts to make you scratch. Uh, the Palo Verde pollen makes our allergies all aflame, or at right. least it does with mine. You know the season, but you don't know the exact hour that we've transitioned to that period. The same way is how we view the end times. Because it all stands on that crux, and because we can mention not one, not two, but four, examples of God using Israel as an example of the fig tree, and Jesus doesn't provide any other explanation when it comes to discussions about the end times. If it isn't explained, that means it already has been. Right. And I think that's a fair handling of the text. Uh, if you have presuppositions that say, well, God's through with Israel, so that can't be what it means, you're the one limiting context. Yeah. If, on the other hand, you'd say, well, there is no futurist perspective in the end times. It was also fulfilled in uh, 70 AD at the destruction of Jerusalem. Okay, uh, have fun with that, but fortunately, we have our reasons. If you want to take those passages in mind again, Hosea 9, Joel 1, 1 Kings 4, Matthew 21, the fig tree is a common usage of Israel, and because Jesus illustrates the season, like spring has come, 
In the same way, we think that the restoration of Israel within the last century is a telltale sign. Yes, we are living in those days. Does that mean sell your house and uh, run up your credit cards and let the Antichrist foot the bill? No, but it is saying that we should be looking up now more than ever. Yeah, and the only thing I'd add is if if you you even go to Israel today, uh, you know, the symbol of the United States is the eagle. You know, uh, in Israel, if you look at their national sign, it's not the Star of David, it's the fig tree. Mm -hmm. So... You know, I, I think uh, very unsubtle there, but I would I would agree with that. Yeah. All right, and then one more. We got thirty yeah. seconds. <clears throat> Sometimes people say, uh, Renee, uh, people often tell me, "Why are you serving the white man's God? What scripture <laughs> verses can I share with people that will help them discover well, the truth?" Well, let's just go God? to the <laughs> yeah, jugular here in Galatians chapter three. It says, uh, "There in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. You're all one." in Christ Jesus. Uh, in Colossians, he even goes deeper. He says, there's neither Scythian or barbarian. You're all one in Christ. Um, no cultural differences, know, no status or financial differences, no We gender don't serve a white man's God. We serve the God who created all mankind from one blood to serve him. Yeah. You know? Well, thank you for mu- so much for those answers, and thank you for tuning in today. We'll be here same place, same time tomorrow. Thank you for your questions, and God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.